Welcome to the Climate Report on Forward Radio, WFMP, 106.5 FM, Louisville. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 139. Today's topic is the duty of government, part two. We'll be talking about the duty of government in a few minutes, but first, here's what the Climate Report is all about. So we've known for 150 years that carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas. And we have been able to see the amount of carbon dioxide in our atmosphere gradually rise, starting at 280 parts per million prior to the Industrial Revolution and rising to 410 parts per million now, which is about a 50% increase that has caused about a 1 degree Celsius increase or a 2 degrees Fahrenheit increase in global temperatures worldwide. Now, there are some spots on the globe that are above that average and some spots on the globe that are below that average, but the average annual temperatures are rising, and that is adding a lot of energy to the atmosphere. So energy is such that one form of energy can be converted into another form of energy. So the the radiation from the sun uh, can get converted into heat energy on the earth and can be converted into kind of kinetic energy or motion energy. So the more heat there is in the atmosphere, the stronger are the convection currents that make the air move around and create wind. So if there's more heat in the atmosphere, that means stronger hurricanes. Also, if there's more heat in the atmosphere, the hurricanes pick up more water from the ocean, and then when they make landfall, they drop a lot more water. So we're seeing record rainfalls from hurricanes, and then record rainfalls during odd times for farmers. I mean, rainfall is not as steady as it used to be. It's more sporadic, so you'll have dry spell, dry spell, dry spell, flood, dry spell, dry spell, dry spell, flood which is not great for crops. In addition, the warming of the atmosphere is causing a melting of glaciers and and snow caps and, and ice caps on mountains. So there are people and ecosystems around the world that depend on this steady supply of fresh water that starts in the spring because over the winter the snow falls and it freezes on the mountain and then when the weather warms in the spring there's this steady supply of fresh water that is available for agriculture, available for drinking water, available for personal use, and is available for the plants and animals and the ecosystems that depend, that have over the course of eons have come to depend on this supply of fresh water. Well the snow caps are melting. That means what people and wildlife and ecosystems have come to depend on is now going away. That's only one of the many reasons why climate change is a problem to be solved urgently. But if we solve this problem, the great thing is that we will be dealing with the root problem, which is out-of-control capitalism. Now, I have no problem with small-scale capitalism, but capitalism, in order to have any In order to be healthy, it has to be controlled. What we don't want is winner-take-all capitalism, where it's like a game of Monopoly. If you've ever played the game of Monopoly, you know you start with three or four people, and everybody starts with an equal amount of money and an equal amount of opportunity, but over the course of the game, somebody, by chance, acquires more properties, and the more properties you have, the more rent you can charge, 
the more rent you can charge, the more other people have to pay you. And by the end of the game, one person owns all the properties. That's the way our economic system is now. It doesn't have to be that way, but it is that way because we have a government and political leaders that would rather work for their corporate donors than work for the people. Our job, your job and mine, is to educate, organize, and agitate, especially at the local level, but organize, educate, and agitate so that we take power away from the super rich and the mega corporations who don't care about the 99%. And recapturing that power for the democratic majority is uh, so as to solve climate change and biodiversity and nuclear war and a dysfunctional water system and a dysfunctional food system. That's what the Climate Report is all about. This program is part of WFMP's Public Affairs Educational Programming. The views expressed are those of the speaker and not the station. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, please email info at theclimatereport.net. Also, go to my website, theclimatereport.net, to find the latest episodes, playlists, videos, and blog posts. So this is the second episode called The Duty of Government. And the title is taken from the actual legislation that AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, introduced into Congress. And the full title of the bill is Recognizing the Duty of the Federal Government to Create a Green New Deal. So the purpose of this legislation is pretty smart. The purpose of the legislation is not to itself be a comprehensive plan for a Green New Deal, but to define the scope of the legislation. So that was the official purpose, but it also served very effectively, I would say, to separate those who are going to work for us with, from those who are going to work against us. And Kentucky's own Mitch McConnell, true to form, established that he is on the side of oil and coal, and fracking, and big money. And he is not on the side of anything remotely resembling a promising future for actual people. If you haven't seen it, there's a great, live, there's a great video of the Sunrise Movement disrupting a McConnell talk. I think it was on April Fool's Day. But email info at theclimatereport.net if you would like for me to send you a link to that video. It's really good. It's amusing and it's inspiring and it's a good example of how civil protest works. So the full title of the bill is Recognizing the Duty of the Federal Government to Create a Green New Deal. And on the last episode, I think I made an adequate case for the proposition that the United States government, such as it is, can be characterized as a failed state. Now, I'm not saying government itself is bad because government itself is necessary and good. And also there are many elements of the federal government that are working against all odds. But when it comes to foreign policy 
and let's solve all of our problems by dropping bombs. And it, when it comes to addressing climate change, the federal government, is, such as it is, is doing nothing but keeping us on a road to grave danger. Therefore, it is completely and 100% derelict of duty. And that is what you call a failed state. Thought experiment. Let's do a thought experiment. Let's say the world is a little bit different from what it is now. And let's say that everything is the same except the powers that be in the United States believe that climate change is real and something must be done about it. But there's another country somewhere in the world that is absolutely standing in the way and blocking progress. Wouldn't the United States go bomb that country? I'm not saying that's the right thing to do, but it just points out how when there's another country that is a perceived threat, we take that very seriously. But when we are a very real threat to the rest of the world, it's like, okay, guys, just get used to it. It's like George H.W. Bush said. Yes, George H.W. Bush said the American lifestyle is not negotiable. Well, any number of Americans disagree. The majority of Americans disagree. But the Bushes never represented the majority of Americans, did they? Nor has any other president in recent memory. They represent a criminal elite. Now, that's strong language, but when you kill one person, it's homicide. When you kill many people, especially a well-defined group of people, it's called genocide. When you kill everybody, it's called omnicide. The ruling elite in our country, as a group, are currently committing what one might call attempted omnicide. If you ask me, that is a crime, morally and legally. Now, reading from the text of the Green New Deal as presented in Congress, the United States is currently experiencing several related crises, such as the following, life expectancy declining, while basic needs such as clean air, clean water, healthy food, and adequate health care, housing, transportation, and education are inaccessible to a significant portion of the United States population. In other words, these basic necessities are inaccessible to a substantial portion of the United States population. The people in Flint, Michigan do not have clean water. They send their children to schools where the, children, where the water has lead in it. Lead causes brain damage. And we know that Trump is not focused on solving problems like this. But what about the Democrats? Why aren't the Democrats raising hell over the condition of the people in Flint, Michigan? Or the situation with the people in Puerto Rico? Are the mainstream Democrats any different from Trump in this regard? If they don't have a majority in the Senate, and they don't have a majority in the White House, they could at least be talking about it. Nancy Pelosi could be talking about it, but she's not. Chuck Schumer could be talking about it, but she's not. Dianne Feinstein could be talking about it, but she's not. 
Continuing to read, a four-decade trend of economic stagnation, deindustrialization, and anti-labor policies has led to the following. Hourly wages overall stagnating since the 1970s despite increased worker productivity. In other words, the workers themselves are producing more, but they are getting less of the fruits of their labor. A key stat that we never hear about is worker share of earnings. We hear about GDP going up and unemployment being low, but what does that mean if workers, meaning the vast majority, have an ever-declining share of earnings? Continuing, we are also experiencing the third worst level of socioeconomic mobility in the developed world before the Great Recession. So in terms of socioeconomic mobility, it's like, okay, it's the American dream. Work your way up the corporate ladder or start a business or get an education and do things right and you will succeed. That is the implied promise. But is that a promise people can rely on? I heard from a reliable source, I think it was Anand Jirdardas. Email me if you want me to spell that word for you. Anand Jirdardas. But he said that one or two generations ago, there was a 90% chance that you would do better financially than your parents. Now, there is a 50% chance that you will do better than your parents. So the odds of you doing better than your parents have declined from 90% to 50%. How often do you hear that on the news? And you don't hear it on the news because the news is not for you. The news is is made to manipulate you, but you're not, I was going to say you're not the audience, but they don't control the content for your benefit. The purpose of the news is not to tell you the truth. The purpose of the news is to manipulate you so that you will be a docile person from a political standpoint. It's to manipulate you so that you will be non-political, so that you will not challenge the powers that be, and you will just be content in your role as consumer. Because that's what they want you to be. They want you to be a consumer. They want you to consume oil. They want you to consume McDonald's hamburgers. They want you to consume overpriced pharmaceuticals. And if you think the system is rigged, that's okay as long as you're not energized or empowered to do anything about it. That's the purpose of the news, to keep you in your place. That's why they tell you about how great GDP is, gross domestic product, and how low unemployment is. What they don't tell you is that most people have to work in crap jobs. What they don't tell you is that wages for the average worker have been stagnant for the last 50 years while profits are going through the roof and while stock values are going through the roof. They don't tell you that on CNN. They don't tell you that on MSNBC. They don't tell you that on Fox News. Because their purpose is not to benefit you. They are not on your side. They are on the side of the power elites. They are on the side of the advertisers who pay their bills. 
They are on the side of the military-industrial complex who takes out ads on their cable news so that the cable news will not investigate them and report what's really going on. The reason pharmaceutical companies and health insurance companies take out ads on the cable news is so the cable news won't investigate these big corporations and tell the truth about what's really going on. What they will do is tell you stories about people down the economic scale from you who are supposedly not working or who are taking your jobs. What they don't tell you, another thing they don't tell you, is that the, if the government would pay for college education, then it would, that investment would return by a factor of about seven. So there's a strong case to be made for providing free college education, but they don't tell you that. There's a strong case to be made for providing free daycare from birth to kindergarten. There's a strong case to be made for increasing the funding in public schools. There's a strong case to be made for having public schools that are federally funded so that there's not a lot of inequity or inequality based on your zip code. Continuing to read from the legislation that is the Green New Deal. What we've seen the erosion of earning and bargaining power of workers in the United States. So, uh, you know, we could talk about the details of labor law, but the United States has the weakest labor laws in the industrialized world. Germany has some of the strongest labor laws in the industrialized world. It's still a capitalist country, but it has strong labor laws so that the capitalist players and rich people and corporations can't run roughshod over the workers who are doing the work and creating the value. So AOC and I say let's have stronger labor laws. Workers should be able to bargain collectively with their employer. And this is good for everybody. It's not necessarily good for the rapacious capitalist who wants to just suck the system dry, but it's good for society as a whole and it's good for the 99%. It's labor laws like that that and other protections of workers and average people that AOC has called the guardrails of a responsible society. And I think that's an excellent way of putting it. We're talking about guardrails for a responsible society. The legislation says, We have seen inadequate resources for public sector workers to confront the challenges of climate change at local, state, and federal levels. Hurricane Katrina was just one example of that. There is just there are inadequate resources for public sector workers because the powers that be continue to brainwash people into thinking that government is inherently inept and inherently bureaucratic and inherently inefficient. But we need to step back and and say where is this information coming from? What's the proof? Before you evaluate anything, you have to ask three questions. What are the costs, what are the benefits, and what are the alternatives? When people preach government is bad and government is inept, 
you have to challenge them and say, don't just give me one side, give me the upside, give me the downside, and then what are the alternatives or what are your specific proposals and why? You mean we need private contractors to do the work that FEMA should have been empowered to do with respect to Hurricane Katrina? I think Hurricane Katrina showed the disaster that happens when you take FEMA and tie its hands behind its back and then send in crony contractors to collect a lot of money for doing nothing. For more information on that particular issue, I recommend Shock Doctrine by Naomi Klein. She has quite a bit to say about the graft and the ineptitude of contractors in, in Hurricane Katrina and also in the Iraq War. People who want to minimize government and minimize government and minimize government are either ignorant or they have an agenda. Ignorant sounds like a strong word, but I'm just talking about people who have been brainwashed by the power elites who want to minimize government so they can make more money and minimize government so that they can make money as government contractors. The solution is not to contract out everything. Government has certain essential functions that should not be compromised or slighted. Continuing to read in the legislation of the Green New Deal. The great, we've seen the greatest income inequality since the 1920s. Okay, that's putting it mildly. Some would say we have the greatest income inequality since the so-called Gilded Age. Others would say we have more income inequality since the pharaohs. Okay, so the legislation says the greatest income inequality since the 1920s with the top 1% of earners accruing 91% of gains in the first few years of economic recovery after the Great Recession. So I just threw out a stat. And sometimes it's better to have great questions than to have all the answers. So if you throw out a stat to somebody who might be skeptical, well, there's a time for that. But let's take a little different approach and say, if the number is not 91%, what is it? There is a number that represents the amount of income gains acquired by the 1% versus the 99%. So if that number is not 90, 91%, what is it? If it's 80%, that's still a big deal. If it's 50%, that's still a big deal. If 50% of income has, has been captured, if 50% of the increase in income since the Great Recession has been captured by the 1%, is that not a problem? AOC is saying it's 91%. I'm sure she's got good data because if she didn't, there are plenty of people who are willing to undermine that number. But is inequality a problem? There are people in our country who think inequality is not a problem because the people who get money basically earned it. In fact, there's a whole school of economics that says the only way to determine value is by reference to price. In other words, if somebody got money, then they must have been worth it. And there's no other way of looking, about, looking at it. But the other way of looking at it is to say if somebody got money, maybe they stole it. 
Another way of looking at it is that if somebody got money, maybe they even killed somebody to get it. And I am not saying that lightly. Every day, the federal government kills people that didn't deserve to die. Some of that is by war. Some of it is the CIA doing it behind the scenes. Some of it is caused by starvation. Some of it is caused by drought that, that, that we have caused, not we citizens, but the rulers of our country who are not listening to us kill people every day in a hundred, if not a thousand different ways. Hundreds of thousands of people have died just in Central America alone in recent decades just because of American policies. People die because of NAFTA. People die because of the WTO. People die because of the sanctions we have on Venezuela, which keeps people from getting their insulin. The official rapporteur of the United Nations, I can send you the video if you want, he says sanctions kill. Sanctions are an act of war. We've had sanctions on Cuba for 60 years. We have sanctions on Nicaragua, which was voted unanimously in Congress recently. And we have sanctions on Venezuela, of course. And we have sanctions on Venezuela, not because of truth or justice, not because of democracy or freedom, but because we're wanting to make more money for a few rich people And if a few people of color have to die in the process, well, that's the price they have to pay to fatten the bank accounts of a few rich Americans. And I did say people of color advisedly. The people who want power in Venezuela, the opposition, they are rich white people. The people who have power are the majority who are people of color and indigenous people. The United States has imposed sanctions on Venezuela so that the majority, who are people of color, can be replaced by a minority of rich white people. If you want more on that, I can send you some good information. Email info at theclimatereport.net. Which brings us to the next paragraph in the Green New Deal legislation. We are seeing a large racial wealth divide amounting to a difference of 20 times more wealth between the average white family and the average black family. So racism is systemic. Even if nobody were racist, we would still have racism because our racism is systemic. The first New Deal, for example, was primarily for the benefit of white people It primarily benefited white neighborhoods and was systematically denied to African American, Latino, and Native Americans. Next paragraph. We we see a gender earnings gap that results in women earning approximately 80% as much as men at the median. And one, one, one of many solutions there is to have paid family leave so that women don't have to choose between children and a job. They do it in other countries. It works. It's expensive. But so are nuclear weapons. And we need to decide whether we'll spend money on nuclear weapons and a thousand other rotten things 
or whether we're going to spend money on the things that really matter. I've got about another minute. I'd like to leave you with something to think about. So I've been using some pretty harsh language to describe our government and to describe the rich people that are in charge. But we are at a point in our history where we have to call a spade a spade. We have to, when we see crime, we have to call it crime. And there's hardly ever been a more systematic and more criminal enterprise than what we currently have in our plutocracy. By plutocracy, I mean we are ruled by money. And because we are ruled by money, we are not ruled by the majority. And because we're not ruled by the majority, the needs and interests of the majority are not taken into consideration. We have an opportunity to create a whole new world, a better world, a cleaner world, a fairer world, a world where there's a lot more fun to be had. But first, we need to take power. We're moving in the right direction, but we need to make it happen pretty quickly. Thanks for joining me. Hope you have a nice day. Come back soon.